Welcome to season one of the Sober Motivation Podcast. Join me, Brad, each week as my guests and I share incredible and powerful sobriety stories. We are here to show sobriety as possible, one story at a time. Let's go. Mike started drinking to numb and escape. Life happened fast for Mike, and he struggled with managing his emotions and processing certain events that happened when he was a teenager. Mike turned to alcohol. Mike's addiction to alcohol almost took his life. I am grateful Mike is alive and able to share his story with us on the podcast today. Bird's eye view on his struggle with addiction. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity, has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test or whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting Soberlink.com recover. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of the Suburb Motivation Podcast. Today, we've got my good friend, Mike, who I originally was introduced to on Instagram when he shared his story about being in a coma from drinking alcohol. Mike shared a video, and in the video, you can clearly see that Mike's eyes are yellow, Mike's not very responsive, and his skin is also yellow, and it just doesn't look good for him. But Mike's transformation was what really jumped out at me, and it is incredible. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brad. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, buddy, and I appreciate you so much for coming on here and being willing to share your story. Yeah, so bring us back to that picture and the video that you shared. What was going on there? That picture came, uh, it's a snapshot from a video that um, a cousin of mine sent me I'd say like right, right around the time that we met, he held on to it for, for a long time. He sent it over to me. We, we hadn't been talking for a little bit. And then finally we got back talking and I was like, you have any footage? You know, I was putting things together, thinking of stuff that I could put a message in. I just had a lot of old stuff. I mean, he sent me that video on a Sunday. I was home with the kids and like when I received it, I never expected uh, like what I saw, you know, I had, I had seen some pictures of my family that they sent me that were like a little further away and some videos after I woke up, but nothing that gave a clear view of a moment that I didn't remember kind of being uh, conscious and still coming out of my coma. I played it and I paused immediately when the zoom came close to my face because I felt my soul drop. I was at a loss for words and I started crying. I broke down and uh, it took me a little bit. And then I played it again, just broke down while I was watching it, man, like looking at myself. I don't remember that moment and just seeing myself with the tube down my throat. I saw there was a a little sticker on my face, a piece of tape that had a date in, in January, a tube in my like veins. I looked dead, man. I looked like I was dead, you know, and just like uh, at the very moments of like death, ready to leave. 
it broke me down in that moment, man. It brought me back. It was such a trigger for me. Like it brought me back to the moment of everything. It brought me right back. It was difficult to watch. It was hard. Yeah, man. I could I could see that for sure. Cause it was really real. It was right there. Why don't you take us back to the beginning before this video? What led up to that? Growing up, normal, normal drinking, like most kids drinking at parties. I, I was never like a fan of alcohol. I hated alcohol, to be honest. I hated the taste of alcohol. I enjoyed other stuff like weed, smoking weed, stuff like that. Even other, other drugs, Coke and things like that. Drinking was never really my thing as a teenager. But as I got older, I'd say like 18, 19, 20 um, was when I started to find uh, comfort in drinking. It just life started to become unmanageable for me becoming an adult i i wasn't very emotionally intelligent to deal with a lot of shit that was happening at that age i kind of left the the shit that i was having fun with and found comfort in numbing with drinking right around that age i think like most people I had a lot of different traumas that happened through the years i lost people in my life that were very important to me a cousin of mine that was very important to me just a, a bunch of things that kept adding up drinking became more and more of a problem all the way up until I was like 25 years old, I'd say I was, I was drinking a lot, almost drinking every day, all the time. At that time, I used to make music. So I would, I had this little studio in my mother's basement and I'd stay down there, wake up, start producing music five in the morning, drinking, you know, follow, do it all day, take naps in between, have people over. It was like a 24 hour little party that was going on for a couple of years. It started to become a huge, huge problem right around 25. And that was around the time that my, uh, the mother and my kids, you know, my son was conceived. She was pregnant at that time and alcohol was just baby coming. And I'm like, shit, I got to get my shit together. And now I tried out a religious retreat at that time. It helped. I went like a year without drinking, then went back into drinking. After that, my son was one, started slowly drinking and you know, I had like a, a, a long run with alcohol where it was a problem in my family life. It was a problem in my personal life. But it, I was a functioning alcoholic for like 10 years, you know. It, it, I, I drink, I don't know, on and off throughout the week. Sometimes feel bad, take a you know day break here and there and then go back on, on the wagon on the weekend and just continuous like that for 10 years. I basically had somewhat of like a mental breakdown in, in 2019, like. I had found, I was already drinking a lot, but I had, I had found out the mother of my kids cheated on me. And a lot of things just along with everything going on in my life just added up to me kind of losing my shit. I saw like no, no light at the end of the tunnel, man. I, the battle going on within the separation between me and the mother and my kids, the, the fear of me losing my house and losing my kids and losing the family that I had like fought hard to keep together you know i fought hard for this shit it was like the most important thing to me and even though i was a function alcoholic i thought i was maintaining that foundation of the family like i this will this is still working and everything just like started to fall apart and at the peak of my career too you know it was like the peak of my career i was making the most money in my entire life like everything was 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 good and that stuff and then everything just kind of went to shit and i started drinking heavily man heavily when we couldn't figure out how this separation was going to work and it was just kind of like a, a halt, nothing was happening. And then we're also 
living together in the same house, things were just really uncomfortable. Uh, you can yeah. imagine in that situation. I just, I drank to, I drank, I never, like I never drank in my life at that point. This was like a different kind of drinking. I was waking up and I'd have a, like a, a, a 1.75 liter of Ciroc. I'd buy that shit every day, a whole bottle of that every day. And first thing in the morning, five, six shots of that shit. And it, first, it, first thing in the morning. And that's how you got the day started. Get the day started. Yeah. Were, uh, were you going through like withdrawals if you woke up and didn't have it? Yeah. And I I had dealt with withdrawals before, but not like this. This was the worst I had ever dealt with. I was waking up out of breath. I couldn't breathe. I had no, like I was completely gasping for air sometimes with my heart racing so fast. Anxiety so high. I, I, I'd wake up feeling like I was dying and, and run to, I knew exactly what I needed, you know, a couple of drinks, I'll fix that shit right up because it's the same feelings as any kind of withdrawal. You get the shakes and the sweats, but this was so intense. It was unbearable. My mind was speeding so fast at times. I thought I was going to have a seizure. My thoughts would be like just going so fast. I try to even talk when I'd be alone and some words would start stuttering. I'd be like, holy shit, maybe I'm about to have a seizure right now. Throughout this whole thing, the separation, the, the kids, did it come to your mind that sobriety might maybe give it a try, maybe ask for help, maybe do do something? Or was this just the way you were headed? It was the way I was headed. I was so fucking ashamed of myself in such a dark place. Like nobody really knew that I was in this deeper shit. I kept that very private and hid it, you know. Um, the person that the only person that knew the the full intensity of this was the the mother of my kids. I hid this shit even with my kids. I was drinking in a manner of like such high intensity, but I I at that point I was spending a lot of the day sleeping. Like I I get wasted so fast, my liver was shutting down. Right, like the the first symptom I had, I had these massive hives blow up like on my neck i was at work one day and i had this huge hive it was like size of a softball on my neck man i i, I have pictures i'm gonna post them one day but it was like i felt it and i <clears throat> i knew immediately because i had hives before smaller ones and i knew immediately i'm like shit's going down and that was from the alcohol yeah okay yeah, it was like that along with this other, this kind of taste I could taste, I have in my, in my, it was in my throat. It was, it tasted like when you taste the end of a battery, it tasted like acidy, very, very um, like specific taste. And I, I could tell the taste from other times in my life when I had been drinking very, you know, highly. And, and it, when those hives came, I went home, I took some Benadryl and I, I drank in my head. I'm like, I got to start weaning off, you know? I had done it in the past. I'm like, I got to start weaning off. I'm going to die. I feel like different than I've ever felt. And so you're still working and everything during all of this? Uh, yeah. The next, the, the next day I had requested take time immediately after that uh, hive breakout, I requested time off and stayed home. And in my head, I like, I remember that first day home. I was like, all right. I had the bottle of vodka, heart was already racing. I'm like, I'm going to take three or four shots. I had a twisted tea and I'm like working it out throughout the day that I'm going to start weaning off this shit, right? Drink little by little and get through this withdrawal. 
a day goes by, two days goes by, three days go by. And the issues at home, like between me and the, mo- the mother of my kids are getting worse and I'm feeling worse about myself. And as much as I think I'm getting out, I'm going deeper, right? Like I'm drinking more now. Like I, I start noticing after a week, I'm, I'm drinking even more. I, I woke up one day and it really was this fast. Yeah, I was off for five, six weeks maybe. And I woke up one day and my, my, my eyes were yellow, man. They were like gleaming yellow, highlighter yellow and it was scary. I started thinking in my head, like, it's the light, something's wrong. And my, uh, I started freaking out and it's freaking out. And I went and drank, trying to figure out what's going on with me, even though I know what's going on with me. I didn't think about sobriety like that, Brad. Like, I felt like I was just crashing and burning, man. Like, I, I didn't even know who to fucking surrender to. Like, I, I, I and I, I'm, my pride, my ego, probably too, you know, I was so could never like face the knee breaking down like that i guess i i it didn't even cross my mind i'll tell you that much that like like asking for help didn't yeah it 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 seems like you were pretty far into it right what i'm hearing here is that everything the solution was drinking or whatever happened that that was the everyday thing and then yeah i mean you become physically dependent on it too right so it's not just something that you can necessarily just turn a on and off switch right yeah. And I had managed that before in my life. You know, I had like the, the, I guess the simpler withdrawals that I had dealt with, you know, simpler periods that weren't so deep like this was. I, I felt like I could do it, man. And at that point, like when my eyes were yellow, shit was confusing. At that point, I had crazy high levels of pneumonia flowing through my blood, going to my brain. I had uh, hepatic encephalopathy occurring, not only just occurring, my shit went complete shutdown of your of your liver. You know, your liver's like, it's not processing nothing. I, I remember the drops, like different things coming out of my eyes looked yellow, the teardrops, like everything was yellow. My skin started turning yellow. My belly swelled up to a point where I was, I slept so much on my couch all day. I had this reclining couch wake up, drink, go there, come back, lay on the couch, wake up, drink, go there, come back, lay on the couch, taking liver pills, thinking I'm still get, trying to get out of this. And it got to a point where like, I couldn't get up off the couch. I'm like trying to f- swing myself up and I can't mind you. I hadn't gone to the bathroom in two weeks. Not, 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 not pee. Okay. It was like, I, I, when I go, it was like these, these like trinkles of pee, you know, and I could barely eat at that time. Everything, I was vomiting so much. All of this stuff, like, man, my body was, like, screaming help in every way possible. Yeah, the poison. The poison caught up with you. Yeah, man. What, what about anyone else? Did you have any other family members that saw this going on, or were you just hanging out at the house? I was hiding inside the house the whole time. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out for nothing. I, I would even order my alcohol. It would get delivered with cigarettes. Like, I wouldn't even leave. I wouldn't go out for nothing no nobody saw me my mom knew i was going through stuff but no no one knew what i was going through except uh the the mother of my kids i had asked one cousin she's a doctor in florida some questions pertaining to like things with like liver and alcohol i ate it man i don't i I couldn't ask for help what fueled that because that i mean not everybody get ends up where it was for you, but a lot of us struggle with that part. What you mentioned ego before that can be definitely something 
Is there anything else? I mean, the shame, the guilt, you just feel like, you know, I felt like for a long time, if I mentioned to people I had a problem, then I would have to sort of maybe try to make some changes. Like if I went to someone who was like, Hey, I have a problem with this, then they're going to have an expectation of me to like make changes. And I wasn't really ready to, mm. you know, and then, and then if I told them that, and then I didn't make the changes and I had a relapse or, I, you know, things didn't work out, then I would feel that guilty part of like just letting everybody down. And it would just like the cycle just continued for years of just like letting people down, letting myself down. So that was part of like, maybe for me, why I didn't really say anything for a long time is because I wasn't ready to really look at anything or make changes. So I thought in my mind, like, well, why just set everybody up with like this idea that I'm going to do something and I'm really not, but I'm interested for you. Like, because this like serious stuff, you're sitting on the couch for you know a couple of weeks, six weeks off work. You're like noticing changes in your body that, are not good. You you know this. You know what I mean. Like you're you're aware of this, and yeah. What do you think, man? The ego. It was part ego, part even maybe a little bit of not caring what happens to me, not giving a shit at that point. I felt defeated, in the manner of like just my soul, man. I felt like I lost my family, man. I lost everything I put my life into for the last ten years, and to think that. I get, I did that. And, and that's the get, that's the way I thought. Cause I didn't do that. But back then that's how I felt to think that I did that. We did that at that, at that time. I thought she did that too. You know, like to think that we did that to them, I felt like a fucking failure. I went into this, like, I didn't give a shit about myself anymore. You know, yeah. I really, and, and I, I felt like threats and the shit that I was hearing, like everything was just going to be taken from me anyway. You know, like I'm a man like here fighting for my life, battling with this shit. She was battling with her own addiction, shit with alcohol. And I'm like, I got no fighting chance here. You know, like I got no fighting chance. I got a broke heart. I got a broken head. I got a broken spirit, you know, and I and I kept my face down in, in shame and the ego part of not wanting to face my family and like throw up a white flag and be like, here I am, somebody that was very successful and had his shit together and, and was known to be a good dad to destroy that whole image feel out of control of that i i chose to eat it i hear you on that it it seems like being a father too is something that's really important to you it was really and it still is really important to you and and i can imagine that that is hard to be like you know for things to look a little bit different you know for the kids and and it's tough right so it seems like it was just a snowball everything kind of just went and then yeah, man, you just kind of gave up on it. So this is in 2019, or where are we at? Yeah. Now? Where that's that's uh yeah, that's 2019, right? Right around Christmas time, you know. That's like when uh, this is all like going down heavy, and it was about a week later that uh, I hadn't been on Facebook for a couple of days. My mom knew something was up, and she reached out to my son Jaden. And was like, get your father on the phone. And then I don't remember much before this, but I remember this. I remember my son, Jaden, coming to me and I was in in the guest room in my house. And I was dying right at that moment. Like I was dying, laying on the bed and I couldn't really move. I was just taking these little gasps of air 
and I remember it was so hard to breathe. It was like um, every everything in me for these like little little tiny gasps, and me like kind of just blinking and looking around with no like energy, and I couldn't even respond to my mom. And that's when my son like started freaking out and ran to his mom and was like, "Grandma said if you don't call an ambulance now, she's calling the cops over here." And then the ambulance came, you know, um, it was like a very odd thing for me then and an odd thing for me today to process like what happened um, with the mother and my kids in that situation. You know, I know like my side of shit, you know, a, a, a drunk, you know, that's what it took. It took my mother's call to get that help there or else in my opinion, no help was going to be coming. When the ambulance and stuff got there, like, you know, I, I, I fought, I fought to not go to the hospital. You know, I, I, I started to like be sh- like shaken and woken up out of my shit. And I, I kept uh, arguing with them and not making sense. And they're like, we're taking you no matter what, man, you're so yellow, you're dying. They kept looking at me. They're like, you are dying right now. You're dying. We're taking you. And I, I started throwing up black stuff everywhere. Like, I guess they also started making me, they're making me freak out while they're saying all this shit, you know, like, I'm just trying to stay home. I'm still like, that's the weird part for me, Brad, is I was still like in my head of like, no, I'm good. What were you thinking? You wanted to stay home and keep on drinking? At that point, it was like medicating. But yeah, I, I, I kept telling them I want to drink before I leave. I want to drink. If you want me to go, I want to drink. You, you need to let me take a drink. What'd they say about that? They're like, well, whatever you want, come downstairs with us. In in my head, it was also, it was all also a lot of like, in and out of, I guess, like hallucination kind of shit going on for me because of the liver shutdown and the things going on with my body. But they slid me down the steps. I couldn't walk. And that's when I was like throwing up profusely. I don't remember much, much from there, but they, they brought me to a hospital. They, they put me in an induced coma immediately because I was going to have a heart attack. My heart was like just racing through the roof. That was it. It was like comatose, man. I, I went to sleep and uh, things were, were bad. Things were bad. My, my liver was down. My kidneys went next. Um, they were calling my mom to get permission, trying to get me on dialysis. They told my family, they're like, he's not going to make it. Like, but, you know, like we've dealt with this and the odds. He's in horrible shape. His liver is not working. My mom stopped going to see me at, at one point there because she thought it was like a wrap. And, and started to, to do her thing, planning my funeral. That was it. My family was having meetings there. And then I, and the doctors are telling them all this shit. And then I think from what I understand, it was like from, you know, one day to the next, there was a, there was a massive uh, turnaround where they did this procedure. They, they put tubes in my stomach and started to like drain my belly. And because I was like blowing up, man, you know, uh, I still wasn't going to the bathroom, even in the hospital, literally just blowing up to almost 270 pounds there. 270 pounds. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, what do you, what do you weigh now? Uh, roughly my, my no, 100, right, my, my average weight's like 175 pounds. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so an extra hundred pounds. Wow. And how yeah. long were you, how long were you in the coma for? About three weeks, almost three weeks. Wow. Okay. So sorry. So they do. So they do this procedure, and and it and it helps out. 
it helps out um the procedure <clears throat> letting the fluids out of my body i had this huge fever going on too uh, an, an infection going on in my body they had ice packs and all these different machines trying to cool my body down and um when they did this procedure it relieved something it something changed and my body cooled down um my liver i guess just it didn't get better. It just like stopped shutting down. It stopped where it was. It didn't get worse. I stabilized in some kind of sense, um, but I was still kind of dying in the sense, but they were, they brought me out of my coma, which took a process of getting out of, they brought me out of it. And when I woke up, I felt amazing, man. I felt great. Like it, it, to me, it was nuts. I woke up and I had like, you know, this body that was practically dead. And I woke up so happy <laughs> to be alive, dude. Did you have awareness of everything going on around you for those three weeks? I had a lot of uh, different experiences from, from physical awareness that I had with pain from different procedures, you know, like changes of catheters. I was waking up at different points, ripping out my own catheters. To me, I had I had a very personal spiritual experience, you know, that I hold like, you know, near and dear to me. I woke up with something. I woke up with something different. I woke up with a a realization and an appreciation for life that like like I had never experienced. And even though I had a very pleasurable spiritual experience that had some hard times while I was asleep. I was just so happy and grateful to be alive, man, it, it, to, to see my kids, you know, like to, to see my family and see them there. And words can't describe what, like what I felt when I, when I opened my eyes, it was like being, being born, you know, coming out of a womb again, but with everything you, you know, you, you, you got another chance and you know, everything again, you know, like you get to do it all with the knowledge you have. And yeah, that was like my blessing, dude. And be born as an adult when you realize what's going on, like the gift of how powerful that is. That's cool, man. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad that it was like that. What happens after that? I eat some lasagna and they're like, <laughs> my cousin feeds me some lasagna and they're like, we're going to move you out of here and you're in horrible shape still. You know, I'm getting like uh, doctors looking at me very scared and everyone that came in and looked at me was terrified, terrified, you know, they'd look at me and be like, ah, from there every day I got a little better, you know, like, and I'd say like my, my fourth or fifth day after waking up, they were bringing like a walker to me to try to like, just try standing up on my own, you know? And then COVID was like, just landing, man. It was like, just getting there. And they, between me dying from my, my liver still failing, the doctor suggested I go home to heal because it'd be safer uh, for me to be at home and have nurses come to me. I got sent home, which was a very difficult situation because I still have the mother and my kids there. Like this whole like resetting of what was going on before. And now I'm home Yeah, here heal healing on this side. But every day being home with my kids, like I said, COVID happened and it was like, I saw everything happening as a blessing, man. And, and as, as, as much was going on wrong in the world, you know, and 
I kept having to see like the positive side of things, you know, like here I am. Okay. Like this sucks. If I get COVID, I could just die. But then like the blessing, right? Like my family, my mom is there. My dad is there. My kids are there now home every day. I'm spending like time with them. And I'm this whole different outlook of seeing the positive side of everything was like, it's like a medicine I never got to have in my life. It's like a ta- a new taste that I got to have because I used to just always see the negative and shit. I just kept getting better, man. Healing and healing. So how do things look like in your sobriety? Did you start drinking again after this experience? I did. About four or five months after waking up, getting my, my body stable, right? It started to come to a point where I went back into... I guess it was like, it was a new headspace for me of like being single, getting my life together and socializing. I guess when my doctor told me that my liver was like functioning, okay, I'm like, okay, well, I drank for for such a long time in this like numbing sense and this other shit. And I went and I I tried experimenting drinking in the sense of for a good time, right? Like I don't know if you remember, like I started in the beginning of this, when, when I started drinking, even at 19, it was always for like a numbing like thing. I, I never really enjoyed alcohol like that. I did. I had uh, a whole little phase that I went through for about like three or four months where I was like finding myself with that shit and didn't like who, who, who I was facing myself and my experience all over again, dealing with a lot of my family extremely you know upset with me and they had just saw me almost die I might I have my entire family like there for me for almost a month at the hospital day in and day out coming in to see me coming to see doctors coming to do all of this stuff to advocate for me and there you know there goes this asshole out there doing his shit again you know what I mean yeah. they they were pissed off man and they had every right to be at that time I was like in this selfish mode of like trying to find myself. I felt like that's where I was. And I got to a point where I I had to face that all over again and make a, make a decision of what I wanted to do. Um, And I, I chose to stop drinking again. I took a big break from alcohol, big, big break, almost a year, right? Like almost a year. Like, and when I say it like that, there was probably like a 10, 11 month period where there was not one drink. And then after that, there were like a few gray areas where I, I again, I'm like in my head, I, 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 I hate to put myself in some kind of area where I feel like I can't do something, even though it's almost killed me, it's reproven itself to be bad in my life. And even when going through that, right, like I still um, strive to live like this sober life. Um, I still have never gotten to a point where I say I'm never going to not do something or not have something or, or, or put myself like in that area. Right now, it's like the first time. So I'll tell you this. This is the first time I could say this and, uh my number is now. This is the first time that I'll just say a, a sober date for it because it's the first time I'm keeping up with one. And it, it just kind of landed that way. It just worked that way. It was 
a little bit like four months ago, I my uncle passed away. I went out for a dinner, had some drinks, and had a cell phone stolen from me. And then the following day, I was like, cut it out. And going into that, like, that, I had set that little, like, sober buddy thing off. And I was, like, right around the time, it was, like, early, right? And I was, like, oh, fuck it. Like, I put it on. And, like, let it up from there. And a lot of things played out in the part that, you know, with my health, again, a reminder of what happened to me from me not taking care of myself. A reminder, again, of, like, I need to make taking care of myself a number one priority because I found such happiness in sobriety, man. Like it, I've, I've found it's just a different world for me. I found myself. I found like my, I don't know my full purpose yet, but I found my clarity in finding my purpose. I found a different kind of love and appreciation for my family and my kids and just a different kind of respect and uh, gratitude for being able to experience all of this. And I, as, as my time continues on, it's like the less and less that anything really goes through my head where even kind of wanting to feel normal in a situation and socializing with a drink even comes to mind. Like, it's like, it's, and it's, a, it's an even greater feeling. Like I had my surgery, I was out with some cousins and uh, a stepbrother of mine for lunch after work one day and go over there and everybody's having sangria and doing their thing. And I had a cappuccino and a Coca-Cola. It felt good, man. Like it, it felt, it felt nice. So it's, I think I'm churning with the process that it's taken me to get to the point of where I'm going to live a, a full sober life and being completely like comfortable with it. You know, I'm like getting there like every day. No, I like that. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? I I was talking with Luke on episode one, too, and he just said he's he doesn't ever say that he's never going to drink again, but it just really scares him. But I mean, just for today, we can. My philosophy is that we can do anything for a day. Oh, man, I I really appreciate your story. And then we'll we'll share somewhere, too, when we share this podcast, buddy, the, the video or the picture so that people can kind of see the transformation that's taken place. I mean, 270 pounds down to around roughly 170, man, in shape, looking good. I'm really proud of you, man, for, for doing this and at least sticking with it, you know, figuring it out. What, how, how many days do you have sober now? You said you punched it in sober, buddy. Yeah. It's like uh 189. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Man. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's like, yeah, that's like without a, a, a lick, uh, you know, of one drink out of been and nothing and and it was cool like i looked at it after you know my my, my surgery recovery and i was like oh shit because i like i like i said i don't really check this stuff for key time and when i looked at it i was like holy fuck it's been some time man and i like i smiled and i was like cool um let's keep fucking going you know keep going and that was that was it a few guests have talked about abstinence and then an attempt at moderation and it didn't work out for them they quickly ended up right where they left off. And in your story, you share right from the beginning, alcohol played a very specific role in your life, and that was to numb feelings, thoughts, everything for you. I find it really hard to believe that that would change, that all of a sudden alcohol would serve a different purpose in your life. What do you think? 
I think like that's a that's a great way to say it because I went through the process of it being for for it being for numbing, and then after I went through this process of trying to do it for moderation, right? But I didn't really enjoy myself even in the moderation part, and that's where like I'm getting to know this new side of myself where the moderation part, and it's not that it's scary to, like to me in the sense where I'm like, holy shit, I'm gonna fall back into the numbing. It's like where. I like to know what I'm doing. I like to be in control. I found this genuine happiness in like um in my clarity and my awareness that the moderation if I was to be able to handle it, I'm not really finding happiness in it. So it's like yeah. It's a good thing. It's a turn off for me. So I'm just kind of still pushing with with this shit and I'm happier this way. So it's all working out, you know. Yeah, no, I love it too and that's sort of one of the things, too, we touched on. on it. You know, it's funny how all of our stories are so different, but they're so much alike. We touched on that, too. It's like once you know, it just it's, takes the fun out of it. I've experienced stuff like what you experienced. When you do it again, it's not that you're going to necessarily go all the way in right away, but it's like, man, look at the look at what it's caused, the pain it's caused for family, for yourself, for everybody involved. I get what you're saying, though, like, you you know, in the moderation thing, like it's not something I suggest for people. Obviously, people have to figure out what's going to work for them. But I, I'm just saying here, too, that it's come up in most of these podcasts that I've done so far. And just a lot of people I taught with. I think the bigger question is too to ask, why are we working so hard to keep something in our life that is just making us feel terrible and no longer serving us? For me, once I had some, I just obsessed over having more. So it's so much easier to have none. I agree with everything you said. And you said something perfect, like the taking the fun out of it. Like it took all the fun out of it, man. Like literally, like, you know, like in the settings where I've tried moderation, a, a drink or two, it's like I start to, like you said, like one, I obsess over it, right? Like I'll obsess over the same thing and, 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 It'll be on my head for days, but still, even in that setting, it took the fun out of it for me because just from my perspective now, I start to see people acting the way I would act, you know, back like then and, and see people doing, and I just feel so much more comfortable in my skin. I just don't find the fun in it and the being there for your kids and being the best person you could be. There's anybody, I mean, I think anybody can, can agree, like you're going to be your best self, you know, um, in your full awareness, facing a lot of things about your individual self in any nature without any mind altering substances. That's just a fact, like, come on, um, you know, and, and here and there people can do their thing and everyone leads their own lives with stuff. But I'm slowly like coming to the reality with that. And I want to be the best person I can be. I want to be there the same as you, like emotionally available for my kids at, at, at all times. And, I guess for everybody in life, like this full awareness, this full being here, this full, like, I'm here. I know what's going on. I can actually be of use. I, you know, like as to the person that couple drinks and life starts to become even more unmanageable, shit starts to fall apart and it's even harder to deal with. And I'm not trying to go down that, that road again. I'm with you, man. Look, this has been great. I think I really appreciate you coming on here to, to share your story. I mean, it's a real, it's a real raw story. It's I mean, from you sharing your story from what I saw, I mean, I'm no expert, man, but I, I'd say that 
that's where you, you know, it was a close call, man. I'm glad that your mom had a feeling, had a feeling and got a hold of you and got you some help. I survived what I survived and my liver went back functioning. Basically, my liver is okay, but I cannot and should not add any more damage. No, buddy, you should not. That's for sure. Why did you decide to share your story? And what was that experience like? Because there's got to be something there because you shared this story, incredible story. But, but I mean, you really put yourself out there when doing it. Walk us through this, Mike. Sharing the hardcore part of my story and putting that out there came along with like, man, if like people got to see like my face there and at some point face themselves in any aspect like that something they're doing can do this to them. And, and all I want is to that to be out there. Not that that's going to happen to everybody. It probably happened to, you know, won't happen to the majority of people, but just know that that's what that shit does. And that's what it can do. It, it, it just kill you like that. Like, and that's what that, that's what that image is. That's what my face is right there. And I want, people to know about it man it's like alcohol is fucked up man it's 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 to me it's the most dangerous thing i've i ever encountered in my life you know well i'm glad you did buddy because the response from your story there like you said a lot of people related and i i know i got a lot of messages for it and you got a lot of messages from people and i mean that's the reality and like you said too it, earlier that side of the story is not shared, right? That takes bravery, my friend. That really does to, to put out there. But it also frees people, man. And that's what the whole Sober Motivation platform is all about, is sharing stories so other people can connect with them. And then maybe just maybe they can believe that it's possible for them to get to get sober or possible for them to you know, start making changes, right? Like we're not forcing people to get sober and, and all that type stuff, but maybe just creating awareness around what's possible to close things out for today. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on here and being an open book and willing to share your story with us. Me too, man. I appreciate it, Brad. Honestly, thank you from day one, man. You posting, you posted my story up. It was like you, you came into my life for a reason and not just to, to share my story. It's like, I, I told you it, it offset everything, like my mentality at that time. When you put my story out there and the way people responded, it, it just it lit up this whole new area of my brain of of where things have been going for me in my head with my sobriety and with sharing more of my my story and also just the direction I've been heading in life. Like that was a curveball when when you when you shared my story, it like. I was in a little bit of a dark place and it was like a, it was a nice saving grace, man. It, it brought a lot of things to light and there's been major changes in my life since then that have been awesome. I can't thank you enough, dude. And you're always supporting me, man. Like, you don't know how much I appreciate you, brother. Like we're always talking dude. you. You're, yeah. you're, you're a special guy, man. And, and since we first spoke, like I got that, that, that vibe for me. We we talked a lot originally when you shared the story. And I don't know, friend to life, man. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Yeah, you know it, buddy. And I, I appreciate all the kind words, man. It it means a lot.
Well, there's episode five for you. I hope everybody enjoyed Mike's story. I know I sure did. When I was going back through editing the podcast, I feel like I lived it through this with Mike, and it was just incredible. And that's why we're extremely grateful to, to be in recovery and to have this new opportunity. Thank you so much for everybody who left a review for the podcast, who, who subscribed to it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. It means the world. Thank you so much. And for the two people out there who are not tracking your sober days, be sure to grab the Sober Buddy app. Free app to track your sober days. I love it at Sober Motivation here. We love it. Download it today for free at YourSoberBuddy.com or your favorite app store, Google or Apple. See you guys next time on the Sober Motivation Podcast.